Natasha Barnes. Really nice to have you on here. Uh, for anybody who's been listening for a long time, you know that a lot of my guests are old friends, but a lot of my guests are people I want to spend some time getting to know more and then to share with you guys. And so Natasha kind of, kind of falls in the latter camp. We've been connected through social media. It was a perfect opportunity to learn more about you, but also have you share your expertise. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, great to great to be here, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me. We're talking off air about our cats. That was kind of more fascinating, but I wanted to dive into one of the things I like about your media, your brand. We people like to complain about social media. They like to complain about you know the lack of evidence based stuff. I actually think there's a lot of really great people in our space, but I really do like it when I see people who are doing well, good media, good message, not cutting corners on the integrity side of stuff. And that's a major precursor for getting on the show. So here's what I want. Uh, we know the industry pre preaches strength training. We have some of the biggest grifters who are aligned to our space will share stuff about strength training. And then they'll say crazy stuff like uh, sugar is more addictive than cocaine, right? That, that actually was a thing with this one account. Plagiarizes people, I won't name him, eventually blocked me for like calling him up for plagiarism. But that stuff exists. I don't like complaining about it, but I do like highlighting the people who are doing well. So but we still, we have all these people talk about strength training, but are there things that like people fundamentally misunderstand, right? On the coaching side, but on the enthusiast side. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? And I'll, I'll dive deeper. Yeah. I mean, um, your audience might work with a different population than I work with, but I work primarily with rock climbers. Um, and there's, there's a lot of stuff that climbers don't quite understand about strength training. And I think it's really similar to, other sports like, um, I don't even know if you call this a sport, but like ballet uh, or gymnastics where people want to stay really small um, and they believe that that's better for the sport. And so they have a lot of fear around like men and women have a lot of fear around like gaining weight from strength training. And they don't realize that like, that's not really how it works. <laughs> and in fact, there are people who are on weight loss programs who use strength training as part of their weight loss program. Um, and so that's, that's a really big misconception that I deal with in my industry is, is people are afraid of getting bulky. They don't realize that like putting on muscle is something that's going to not only help them longevity wise in their sport, but it's also not just dead mass that you're having to lug up the wall. It's, it's active tissue that's like working for you when you're climbing and um, it's just been so stigmatized in my industry that it's one of those things that like people really have to experience themselves to almost believe it. Um, and so that's, that's one of the biggest things that I deal with. And like, at least in my industry with the population that I work with. I, I noticed this when I was kind of doing a bit more research with your account and, and a lot of your stuff is climber specific, but I find a lot of these principles go general. And I, a really good example analogous to you would be Joel Jameson's work, primarily kind of conditioning with MMA athletes. But if you get into his book, his course, what have you, this stuff is principles that transcend virtually anyone. You just have to apply it to that person. So the general principles of strength training matters. Your specific example, and it's a relevant one, is there's a, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on strength to body weight ratio, because there's some really smart people I like, but will sometimes say things like, especially in the quest to doing pull-ups, chin-ups, that sort of stuff. And they'll downplay the role of strength to body weight ratio. And I don't actually agree, but I'd like to hear your take because you have more expertise on this than I do. Yeah. I mean, I think especially with climbing, like, and if you're doing pull-ups or any kind of sport like that, where it you're moving your own body weight, 
um, you know, it, it is a body weight, like body uh, strength to weight ratio sport. But what people don't realize is that there's more than one variable to manipulate there, right? And so the thing that a lot of people go with is like, well, I'm going to manipulate my body weight. So I'm going to like drop weight so that I artificially feel stronger. Instead of realizing that we can actually get stronger, we can manipulate your strength and you're going to feel stronger for your body. And that's going to apply to like your, your sports performance. And one of those things is more sustainable. One of those things comes with more health benefits. Um, in the climbing community, we're not dealing with people who are like overweight or obese most of the time. So we're not worried about reducing body weight most of the time. Um, we're actually like more concerned with um, improving longevity in the sport. There's a lot of overuse injuries that happen. There's a lot of burnout that happens in the sport. Um, and getting stronger is something that's going to help people with that. And so I think a lot of people just don't realize like there's two variables to manipulate there. We, we You can actually get stronger and it's going to help you in your sport. I think a lot of people just don't realize. I didn't realize when I first started strength training um, that it, like how to get stronger. I didn't know, you know, I had to work with a coach. I had to experience it myself. Whereas like manipulating my body weight, like I knew if I just didn't eat very much, like I could lose, I could drop weight, you know? Um, and there are a lot of like eating disorders in climbing, just like in dance or something like that. And so it's, it's something that we're constantly combating and, um, I'm trying to like help my industry shift the narrative away from body body weight manipulation and more towards things that are like more sustainable and like health promoting, like building strength and muscle mass. Do you encounter a body fat percentage? I mean, it's still probably going to vary based on the person, but where you see significant performance drop off and how do you have that conversation with the athletes who are just determined to try to get as lean as possible? Yeah. I mean, I think it's difficult because it's going to be a different body fat percentage for different people. Um, for example, like I personally can't drop down very low. Like if I start to drop below like 19 or 18%, I lose my period. Um, whereas other people, like I have friends who are women who have a six pack and have veins on their lower abs and they're fine. I guess a lot of that has to do with each individual body's experience of stress, right? Because correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding of it is it's actually not necessarily the level of body fat for women that explicitly will cause someone to lose their period. But it's the, usually that coincides, getting that lean coincides with a fair bit of stress on the system, which is why it happens. So I guess each person is probably going to experience that stress differently, right? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah. So it's, it's probably going to depend on the person. Okay. Um, uh, are there any things that you see the industry like broadly fundamentally getting wrong that you're just like banging your head against a wall, general, like regular trainers and they're well-intentioned. It's not the grifters. It's the well-intentioned stuff that you're just like, no, this actually is wrong. This is unhelpful or anything on the flip side that you think stuff that is really critical yet we're not paying attention to when it comes to strength, health, longevity, so all that, how that all intersects. Yeah. I mean, um, <clears throat> I think that like context is important. So like, you know, obviously in, in my industry with climbing, like we're, we're trying to shift people away from that body weight thing. And of course there's some nuance there. Like, of course there's probably some set points that people get to where like they don't need to look like a bodybuilder or like get as big as like a bodybuilder or power lifter. Like that's not going to be helpful, but for most people, they're so far away from that. 
that we're really trying to like shift that conversation away and off of weight loss and um yeah just like too much talk about weight loss I think the general like coaching um training industry talks a lot about weight loss and talks a lot about losing body fat because that's the goal for the general population and I think that that can infiltrate into the climbing community sometimes and that's kind of not what that population needs um another one is also um like exercise selection too um a lot of people are just coming around in, at least in my industry, to things like barbell movements and like the big strength movements. Um, There's like a big myth in the industry that like, we need to pick movements that look more like the sport. So doing like the TRX or the rings or doing like calisthenics or um, just doing lots and lots of pull-ups or weighted pull-ups is like what climbers need. And they're just like any other athlete. They need like a well-balanced strength program that still incorporates lower body because um, I don't know if anyone listening will be a climber or will know this, but you do use your legs pretty forcefully in climbing, not only to like do climbing movements that are very like footwork intensive and leg intensive, um, but also because we're falling off, like climbers fall off the wall and land on the ground. (laughs) And you need to be able to fall off and land. So you still need to strength train your legs, which is another one where people are like, okay, I get it. Like upper body training makes sense for climbing, but we're, we're not going to train legs because nobody needs that. It's just extra weight that's lugging you up the wall. And it's like, no, actually like, you know, there's a rise in ACL tears and like knee injuries and ankle injuries in climbers. And it's because historically we're not training lower body. Um, so that's also another one. I was always of the impression that quad strength was particularly important. Now, I haven't done anything along lines of climbing in probably over 20 years. And the very limited, hey, brought to a local climbing place, uh, you know, lash on whatever, climb up, climb up the beginner wall. It doesn't, I mean, I, I, I was, as you were talking about, you know, the weight ratio of people, you implied it, and I'll say it explicitly, there's a certain amount of, you know, selection bias where the type of people who probably gravitate towards climbing are the people who you know, they have the anthropometry. If anybody listening doesn't know what I mean by that, it's like just the the, the limb length ratio is just in, in the build. It's probably going to be fairly suitable for climbing. So I guess you probably have some long lankier people, but you probably have a lot of like shorter people too. The similar population that would tend to gravitate towards gymnastics maybe? Yeah, like gymnastics, dance, like you aren't really going to see a lot of like six foot, six foot five dudes like in a ballet, you know? <laughs> Um, or like in gymnastics, but it, it is a bell curve. Like there's people who are like very short, like uh, like four foot nine, four foot ten that climb, and then people who are very tall that are like six foot five um, plus that climb too. Um, but the sport definitely varies. Um, the the it it probably prefers people that are in the middle of that bell curve. So probably somewhere between like I would say like five seven to like five eleven, something like that. I guess, you know, anybody who sort of gravitates to it does reasonably well, realizes, hey, I'm good at this, probably turns around and will apply themselves more. So it magnifies. And I think that's kind of true for almost any sort of sport. I mean, basketball is the one that everybody cites because height, I, I don't know. There's not a lot of sports where one physical characteristic so overwhelmingly dominates, magnifies how good you're going to be at a sport. We know there are plenty of six foot tall basketball players in history who are just amazing. But you have a tremendous advantage if you're really, really tall, right? Just right. we know that, right? 
Um, I, I find that stuff really interesting. Is there anything that you would encourage coaches or or the clients, any of the general enthusiasts to focus more on when it comes to their general strength? I mean, it can be a lot of the stuff you're talking about with, with climbing is quite analogous to the gen pop anyway. And I think it applies. So thoughts mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I mean, realizing that like you don't really need to do, especially if you're not like a power lifter or you're not like a strength athlete, um, like finding a minimum effective dose of strength training is like it, it's not a lot. Actually, you don't need to be doing a lot. Your program can be really simple. Um, I think the more that you can incorporate some compound lifts that are going to be like really good bang for your buck, the better, because it's, you know, less time in the gym, it's more comprehensive. And then, you know, adding whatever supplemental things you need into the program as well. Um, but you don't really need a lot. It doesn't need to take up a lot of your time, um, especially if you have other sports or other things that you want to do or family obligations or anything like that. Um, and like the dose in order to get stronger when you're new is so small, like you can get away with like, you could even probably get away with one time a week, you know? You could be doing, especially the bodybuilding world, you could be doing some of the dumbest shit in the universe and it's going to be enough of a, a stimulus to grow. You know, as you get more elite, more efficient, yes, you probably have to be smarter with your protocols. Um, yeah. And humans are also pretty bloody resilient too. You know, let's do injury stuff because I know you talk a lot about the student misconceptions. Like humans, super resilient. And we we have a lot, I, I think most of the clients that have ever come to sit down with me to talk about training had have said some version of, I want to learn good form. I want to learn how to do this safely. And I think it's a really super overblown fear. Thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Um, you know, especially like when you're new, you're not like super efficient. You're not well coordinated at the movement. Like there's a lot of room for error when you're learning. Um, and I, I run into the same thing when I work with climbers. They're like, oh, you know, I really, I'm scared of deadlifting. I know I should do it, but I really don't want to mess it up. So I haven't tried until I can like work with someone who can teach me or until I know I'm doing it right. And I'm like, did you know you were doing it right when you stepped foot into a climbing gym? Like, no, you just did it. Like you just were like a little kid. You went on the jungle gym and you just did it. And like, you're fine. Right. So it's the same thing with, with lifting. And, um, you know, one of the examples that I've seen people talk about is like, what, what is the difference between doing a deadlift, like wrong, let's say rounding your back versus bending over to tire shoe. Mm -hmm. It's not the position, it's the load. Right. So as long as like you're loading moderately, like you're going to be fine. As long as you're not maxing out every single session, like five days a week, you're probably going to be fine. I, I love that example. There's a few things that I, I I don't want you to interject at any point, but you get these people who start to think, well, I need to brace and like, I can't round my back to go tie my shoes. Holy shit. A, you're, you're starting to treat yourself like you're very fragile. So you're very sensitized, fear, fear sensitized to movement, which is a terrible thing to actually ever indoctrinate people. in. so I want people to have the, movement capacity to be able to bend, flex, move at their spine and under reasonable load. I, I, there, there are a bunch of physios that I like. I think they're very smart. They get a little bit tribal, a little bit aggressive sometimes on social media, uh, and, but I like them, right? They go at a lot of the old school strength and conditioning crowd who probably need to update some of their, you know, their old beliefs a little bit too. And I think this stuff hopefully moves the industry forward a little bit. There's some res resistance to change. But I think there's a bit of a, a pendulum. And I think with the message that you can just grab any amount of weight and just do a unbraced, uncontrolled, rounded back deadlift, which I don't think anybody's explicitly saying, but it's almost like it seems that way. 
that's terrifying to me, right? Mm -hmm. I think if you have your lumbar or thoracic spine, especially in a round position, but you're braced, and if you graduate over time, develop the skill, I, I still think if your lumbar spine is staying fairly stable through the movement, even if it's in a rounded position, and you graduate load, because you will set it right off the hop, large or implied this part, large jumps in load, intensity, um, all that sort of stuff in a very short amount of time is probably one of the things that evidence says there's a major, there, there's risk there. But form itself, not so much. But I, I think you're you're absolutely right, is, is the load is one of the major characteristics. And I think, you know, the teenager who looks like a dog taking a shit in the gym with a load that's obviously too heavy, to me, is the teenager more resilient than the 45-year-old? Absolutely. Like, I know this from experience. I'm 45 now, right? Like, I break a little easier. I don't recover as quick. But I, I think the message has got to be in the middle. I think it, it, we've got to get past this. All right, everything has to be perfect and a million cues, and you've got a scared client afraid of doing one wrong thing. But it just doesn't mean that you grab the heaviest weight possible and just heave at it without actually learning the skill. Thoughts? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, you know, it's a pendulum and like, I don't think that like, it's wise to just go in and try to deadlift 500 pounds, however you can, um, <laughs> obviously. Um, and I think there can be an argument made for like efficiency, especially if you're like a power lifter, um, or you're some kind of strength athlete, there probably is a way to do it. That's going to be more efficient. That's going to allow you to move more weight for your body type. Um, and for, does that apply to the general population? Maybe, maybe not. I think it depends probably who the person is and like how new they are to training. And, um, I think one of the mistakes that I made at the beginning, when I first started coaching people is like being too rigid with, with technique and like making them do it absolutely perfectly. And, um, not punishing them, but like not allowing them to go up in weight or just really drilling it into them that like they weren't allowed to progress until they could get the movement perfect. And I made that mistake and I, I made people very hypervigilant about their form. And obviously I've changed like my view on that. And I think there's a lot more wiggle room than we, than we think. Um, but I think there's also like, there's obviously some nuance in there where we're not, nobody's telling anyone to go and like, just you know, do anything crazy like what you were just describing. So I think a lot of, I, I was just like you, absolutely right. Like over time I've gotten, I mean, I still try to appropriately with time, I'm more patient to optimize technique for performance. And I think if you start as a coach, looking at it through the lens of let's get you moving a certain way. So you're, you know, you're targeting the right muscles, you're optimizing performance versus, you know, risk reduction. And I think you've got a good framework to work through from a coach and the language you use with your clients is going to change how they experience it. Because you said, it. it's like, if we sensitize them to fear of injury, mm. we're going to fuck them up. And I think there's a lot of that. Um, and I don't I, I don't like this idea either of having to earn your right to, th this is something I've seen floating around a lot, like earn the right to put a barbell on your shoulders to squat. You have to do some arbitrary goblet squat thing. And I just like, I just don't agree with that sort of set of it. Actually, I, I suppose one is it's earn the right to load. So you got to have a perfect body weight squat before you can give a goblet squat. I can't count the number of times I've put a 25 pound, a 30 pound dumbbell in someone's hands who's brand new. Their body weight squat looks like Bambi on ice. And all of a sudden you give them that little bit of reference with weight in their hand. And I don't even need to cue anything. And it cleans it up. And that's another thing. 
let people practice without overcuing them. Oftentimes as they practice it, as long as they have an idea what they're supposed to do, I find that they just gain skill with practice. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a skill as a coach to know like when to cue someone or when it's appropriate to work on something in someone's lift technique wise and when it's more appropriate to like sort of let stand back and let them have more practice with that movement. Some people just, they haven't done the movement a lot. They don't have a lot of body awareness around how they're moving and they need more reps. And then later on, they, they just get more efficient on their own, or then you can like start to teach them a little bit more because they've had a little bit more practice with that movement. Absolutely. Pivot a little bit here. So something else, and this is pinned on your Instagram, and I really thought this was a good example. I think more coaches are thinking about building programs, building things that can scale. Think I, you, I find the term passive income very misleading, but it, it's along that line of thinking. So you have the Foundational Strength Program 2.0, right? It's pinned up there. And A, I wanted to hear a little bit more about it. I know, I think fundamentally it's geared a little bit more towards climbers, but I also want to look at it through the lens of you know, helping a coach who probably wants to build something similar. So it's building the infrastructure. It is making sure it's high quality, making sure that it's user-friendly and that you're able to deliver efficiently from your end. So that way the the er income you're earning is great compared to the amount of time it takes to administer it. And then turning around and promoting it via media. I know that's a lot of questions, but I think it's all the stuff that matters to make it make sense for a coach to do it. Does that make sense? So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about all that for you, from your point of view? Yeah, totally. So that program is a GPP program for climbers. It's a general physical preparation program. So it's a general strength program. So it is like technically for climbers, but anybody could do it and anybody would benefit from it. It has like all the major movement patterns in there. Um, Cause I, I really believe that climbers need to be doing like all of them. <laughs> so it's not like just climbing specific, although that's the way that it's marketed because I want climbers to feel like I'm keeping them in mind. And I do have it structured a little bit differently than maybe I would if I was coaching a power lifter um, or maybe I would if I was coaching someone who maybe was in a sport that required a little more lower body strength. Um, we do have that in the program, like lower body training in there, but it's, but anyway, it's a GPP program. So, um, and uh, I've worked with like enough climbers over time. I've been doing this for like 10 years and I've worked with probably thousands of climbers at this point to know like what most people probably need to be training and what most people, what's going to be good for most people on average in my niche. And I created a program for them. And I have a lot of a bunch of resources that I've put together over the years just from working with lots of clients. Um, I pay attention to the common questions that I get and the common problems that people run into. And I have resources or I have strategies within that program to like overcome those things so that people I know the roadblocks that people are going to run into as they go along in the process. Um, and I, I try to kind of like think ahead and like make sure that they have the resources for that. Can I, can I ask something in here? So I think a lot mm -hmm. of coaches get really caught up in the, oh, it has to be highly individualized programs, but experienced coaches realize that most people, a lot of goals converge and it's not about, uh, oh, cookie cutter. Cause that's the, uh, that's the bad end of the spectrum, right? Coaches being lazy, but you realize that a lot of people can do fundamentally most of the same things. Then you adjust it based on their injury history, their skill level capability. But 
we end up almost naturally coming up with these templates that work. And to me, what I'm getting the impression of is like, you've drawn from all your experience, you've built a really robust template. And it, does that make sense? And then like, obviously yeah. I want you to take that further and, and tell me. Yeah, more. absolutely. Like you, you start to realize that most people need kind of the same things. And like, yeah, they're, like you said, you can individualize based on someone's goals, based on someone's injury history, based on someone's like, they're like, Hey, I want to get really, I want to do a one-arm pull-up, you know, but, um, most of the time, and if you talk to other coaches too, you're like, Hey, like we're doing, Oh, you're doing that. I'm doing that too. Oh, they need that. My clients need that. Too. Oh my God. We're like kind of doing the same thing. And like most good coaches programs are going to look kind of similar to be honest. Um, and so it's not being lazy and being like cookie cutter. It's, it's being like, most people need kind of the same things. And if people, um, fall outside of that, then that's where like one-on-one -on -one coaching comes in, or that's where like a consult comes in where you can like add specific things for that person into their programming. Um, but yeah, there's, and there's online platforms that you can use. There's so many of them. I use Everfit, um, that you can, um, put your programs on and like sell to people and they get, they get a good, um, Everfit allows you to customize your user experience. So you can have your own branding. Um, and there's other apps that do this too. This is not literally the only reason I picked Everfit is because when I'm working with one-on-one -on -one clients, I need to be able to voice note them. <laughs> and it's the only platform that I've found where I can voice note them in the messenger. Like there's, other platforms don't have it and I, or they don't have like one other thing that I need. And um, I found myself using separate apps for things and it was just getting too confusing. So um, I do everything through Everfit now, one-on-one -on -one uh, clients, rehab clients, and like my programs through there. And you can find lots of platforms that will do that. Um, and I deliver like a good experience because it's branded. They recognize my branding. It has my videos in it. It has like my resources that I've created and uploaded for them. Um, and it just makes a good experience, especially when people are already connecting with you on Instagram online and they know you and they know your stuff, they know your content. Um, it, it creates like a better, more seamless experience for, for the client. The love that you shared that. I was really interested in that because visually from your post, it just looked really good. I was laughing at the voice thing because I use a lot of voice messaging. Anybody I know because I've gotten voice messages from you. <laughs> right. Every, everybody listening who's ever interacted with me has got to be like, yeah, I send voice messages. And I find very, it, it's a super efficient way for me to communicate nuanced stuff. I tend to tell clients, especially if I need to reference something, it's much easier for me to reference text. So I try to tell clients, okay, if you need to articulate something complicated, send me voice. But Otherwise, like notes, something I can read yeah. off of. And then I obviously, if I have to give them written notes for something that is technical, guess what? I write, but I can articulate, like I can be stopped at a red light and bang off a bunch of voice messages. And it actually improves my ability to interact with like for social media, people don't understand how I can respond to all these messages. Guess what? I, I'm in between a client. I'm literally walking to and from the bathroom, you know, clients late pop off a couple of 10 second voice messages yeah. and, you know, I, I just think that most coaches can be more responsive to their messages. And it's not about real time. Okay. It pops up. Shit. I got a text in the middle of the night. Notifications going off. Got to get up and reply. But I mean, I'll say this to coaches. Actually, I put this up in my story recently. I think there is a, a trend amongst younger coaches. Where, and I think it's a younger generation where they have this expectation about boundaries 
And I think there's an, a very successful tier of coaches, many of whom are my friends. I really, really think are doing wonderful things. And they talk a lot about developing boundaries. But I also think it's really important to recognize that they probably didn't, they didn't, they weren't successful because of those boundaries early. They hustled and they did the grind and they worked very, very hard. And after a time, as they were successful, in order to balance life, they had the ability and quite frankly, the privilege to be able to put those boundaries in going forward. The boundaries are not the reason why they were successful. And I will call bullshit on that very quickly. I, I saw your post and I, I completely agree because I was hustling my ass off when I first started what I do now. And I was busy. I was stressed out. I was seeing as many people as I could. I was fitting people in whenever I could. Um, and now I'm at a place where I can literally say, no, I can be like, I'm only seeing clients Tuesdays and Thursdays and only for these hours. And I can say no, and I can do that because I have other stuff going on in my business too, but there's no way that I would have been able to do that. And if a coach told me like, no, hold your boundaries. If you just want to work Tuesdays and Thursdays on consults, just, just do that. Cause I would never have been able to like build the community that I've built, the client, the, um, the, the referrals that I've built, the, like all of it, like you do have to hustle. Um, and I think people who are telling people not to hustle, like either forget, and they're talking from a place of privilege, um, or they're just kind of talking bullshit and like, it's not true. <laughs> I know there's a lot of selling of systems as well. Cause I think I'm, I'm around a lot of coaches talk, a lot of people and they're seeing all this, like, Oh, I have the seven figure business. It's like, okay. And I, I have some friends with seven figure businesses, but they also have seven figure expenses, right? So, and I and I look at this stuff, and it's like I, I'm six figure. I, I like to joke, and I'm like, I'm the six figure coach who sits at a lot of seven figure tables, right? And I like some of them have incredible businesses; they're doing really, really, really well. But there's also a status driven, performative element of showing off how well you're doing. And I see a lot of this stuff coming through, like a lot of the business coaching space, because those mm -hmm. people want to show off how well their clients are doing. And I think a lot of trainers are being told, well, you need to scale a business. You need to hire employees. And it's like, I don't want to take that crap on. Now I'm busy for sure, but I'm comfortable saying my margins are outrageously good based on what I earn versus like what my cost structure is like. I have an incredible setup with Evolve Strength. And I mean, I, I recommend that any trainer, there's an Evolve in your city, Evolve is growing. I'm not the owner. People have a misconception. I'm part ownership. I'm not, I'm just a contractor there. But the, the owner is my partner in my conference. But honestly, I probably have better take home than a lot of the people with these seven figure businesses with these monster expenses. And I know those people, they're stressed. They're very, very stressed because they're managing the business, they're managing uh, the marketing side of stuff, but they're also managing the people side of stuff. Now, yeah. it's not an argument against hiring people. It's just to be careful what you see on people's media and what you think's really going on. Right? And yeah. I'm also not an advocate for like, you know, you, you hear people demonize stuff like grind culture. It's like, okay, I, I don't think we should celebrate that, but I'm also, you're an entrepreneur, even a trainer working for a gym, you should be approaching this as an entrepreneurial thing. You're not an employee and there is no nine to five. There is no work-life balance for this career. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I love this. It's my identity. It is my life. And I just, I could never, I would lose my mind if I went back to something nine to five, punch in the clock and then turn it off when I went home. That's not for me. I respect the person who wants that, but that's not me. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm a hundred percent like entrepreneurial spirit. Like I love, I love the flexibility of it, but I also 
like, it's nice to work when you want and like work when you don't want. I mean, obviously like what you were saying, you have to grind at first and you're working when you don't want, but um, I kind of love the way that my job is structured. I think I would go crazy too if I had to work a nine to five and like if I had a boss and like, you know, if I had to do things somebody else's way, you know, um, but yeah, um, I think it takes a certain kind of person for sure. And I also think that like, it's easy for business coaches to sell people on the idea that it can be easy. And it's not at first, it isn't easy. Like you have to build this momentum. You have to make connections. You have to build the word of mouth. You, you have to hustle. And then eventually, like, if you're lucky like us and we made good connections and we have a great community and I have like, I'm very lucky to have the climbing industry and to have been involved in it for the last 25 years. Um, and I think sometimes people, even in my industry, they see my business and they're like, Oh, can I like, tell me how you did it. I'm like, I mean, I can tell you, but I don't know if it's going to work for you because like I've been in this industry for 25 years and I've made these connections and people know me and like I had to grind and like I it's very easy for me. It would be very easy for me to tell people that they could just do this, this and that and set up an app and like get on social media, make some posts. And it's very easy. And it's but it's not. And like it is easy now. I mean, easy it is easy now, but um, it wasn't at the beginning. And I feel very lucky. I love that you circled back to the almost the unanswered remainder of that question. And it was probably the best answer possible because I do think people are also looking for shortcuts. And uh, I, this, this is going into an upcoming talk about social media. And I often get asked, well, where do you see yourself in five years? And I used to hate the question and because I didn't know how to answer the question. And now I do. It's like, I don't have any concept of where I want to be in five years. I'll explain. If you ported me five years ago, where what I was doing in my career was in a good place, doing well, but certainly not, not like the big opportunities. Uh, I think writing for Teen Nation will come up next month, five-year anniversary. And then a lot of the other things were subsequent to that. And then obviously public speaking, the podcast would have been about a year old. But I could never have had a conceptualization of what could have been possible. So anything I would have said I wanted to do five years ago to now would have, wouldn't even scratch the surface of what ended up happening. And I tend to look at it that way instead. It's it's behavior. It's the whole uh, it's the whole behavior versus outcome mindset. It's like I'm not focused on hard outcomes. Yeah, there's things I aspire to, but I yeah. literally focus on the process. And a lot of the things you talked about, a lot of it's relationship stuff. A lot of it's behind the scenes you know, showing up for people, supporting other people and that stuff. It, it's never transactional, but my God, if you apply it across enough scale and across enough time, it gives you back tenfold. And there's, I think one of the things that hurts most people in this industry is it's a take mindset and they just want, and sometimes it comes from a place of need, but sometimes it comes from a place of scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's honestly a long game. It's a long game. And like, you really can't be like, well, I want to, like, I have this very outcome driven goal. I want the six figure or seven figure business. And like, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I want. It, you have to more think of it as like a process thing. It's the same thing with strength training, right? It's like, I'm not like, okay, I want to squat 350. We're going like, give me a plan to go there. Like, I'm like, no, I want to enjoy my training session. I want to enjoy the process of figuring out what I'm responding to in training and following that. Same thing in business. You have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to enjoy building those relationships. You have to um, 
kind of have that more process oriented mindset. And it's a long game. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone be like, oh yeah, like somebody told me about you seven years ago and like this and this and that. And then like, it's suddenly I'm here and I'm talking to you. And this is from a connection from seven years ago, you know, um, or, you know, something weird like that. And you're like, wow, this really is a long game when that kind of stuff happens. Like, I'm really glad I did that talk at the climbing gym that like, I kind of didn't want to do because they weren't going to pay me for it. But then seven years later, this person is now my rehab client or whatever, you know? And there's a, there's a lot of that. And I never, ever, ever, ever look at what is my immediate ROI on this. I get invited to speak at a lot of events, a lot of virtual stuff, uh, a lot of in-person. And it's funny, I got I get a lot of trainers who are like, they ask to speak at events. How do I get in more of this stuff? Let me tell you something. I've been very lucky and I very much enjoy it because I like traveling to these events. I spend time around friends. But in a way, and I want people not to think in terms of status games, there is a status game that exists within, you know, being on the speaker tier within this industry. And at this level, there's no money in it. Right? You're actually taking time away from your business. Now, the long-term potential gain visibility in social media, it's wonderful. It's super fulfilling. I love it. But if you guys really want to find financial opportunity and like fulfilling benefit to speaking stuff, get local, get into corporate wellness stuff. That's where money is. That can be really, really valuable. Get into relationships within your local network and get in front of local businesses and gain the reps there. You can film it. It'll turn into great content for your, for, for your media anyway. And it might even open the doors to the bigger opportunities like industry events. Yeah. And it's just more reps, right? Like get used to talking to people, get used to having conversations, get used to speaking publicly, all that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. One more question I wanted to circle back to about the way you deliver your program. Uh, any key behaviors you engage in outside of voice messages, which I think literally is one of the best things you can possibly do when you have online stuff. It's like, I got this one from PJ Street years ago. He's another T Nation writer. And it took me a little bit to adopt it. Then I took it way too far. And everybody jokes that I'm literally the person who like popularized this thing in the industry, right? But it's probably not true, but I know I do a lot of it. Um, that are any of these key behaviors that are high leverage for client retention. Client, the quality of the client experience is really what matters, but obviously that retains clients. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like talking to your clients and like for me, I think the biggest thing is like forming a relationship with your client, number one, so that they can trust you. We all know that, right? Um, number two, like create opportunities for your clients to check off the boxes and feel successful and build momentum. And they're going to stick with you and they're going to trust you and they're going to feel like they're doing, they're doing great. So we all have like an ideal of what we want our clients to do, um, based on like what they're telling us our goals are. But I have found that if I like try to force people to like train this way or do these things and then they fall short, or if I allow them to like get too excited and be like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do, I'm going to, uh, we're going to climb four days a week. We're going to strength train twice a week. And then I'm going to mountain bike on these days. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, they're excited when they're talking to me about like us potentially working together in a coaching relationship. And they have like the most ideal plan in their head. And I'm like, well, let's, let's make it real though. Like what, what's realistic for you? Like what happens if you go on vacation? What happens 
you know, if the kids, you know, something happens with the kids or like, what's a realistic, like how many days a week can you really commit to? Because let's do that first and let's make sure that you're ticking the boxes and like being consistent and feeling successful. And when you can make your clients feel successful, they're going to be stoked and they're going to reach their goals because they're building that momentum and they're going to enjoy working with you more than if you try to force them to stick with something because you just think it's better. And it's maybe not necessarily like working for their schedule or their whatever their preferences or anything like that. I don't know if that quite answers. I don't know if that's really the answer. You're really looking forward to your question, but. <laughs> Some, but it is. And sometimes the best, you're kind of like me in that you'll hear the question and then you'll actually subvert the question to give the answer, which is really what's the technical question. Then what's the theme that the question maybe should have asked. And actually that's, that's my favorite nugget from this entire experience. I hope coaches grab onto that one and apply it. Cause every once in a while I hear something like so intuitive and you're like, I love the way that was framed. And I have to remember that because we can get complacent. We absolutely can. You do this long enough and we sometimes catch ourselves getting complacent. The key is you catch yourself you write yourself because a lot of, I definitely have worked in environments where coaches got very complacent. They stopped learning and you know what? Then all of a sudden they're wondering, why is my business struggling? Yeah. Where can people find you to check out more of your media? They can find me on Instagram. Most likely I'm, I'm always on there. So Instagram at Natasha Barnes, that's where I'm at. Funny. So this is the first recording I've had since my Instagram account was targeted, attacked. Yeah. And what happened? Temporarily banned. Um, so ultimately I figured out what happened. I, I don't want to get into the long story of it, but short version, it was just, there are people out there, nefarious actors. It was nothing that I did wrong. It wasn't personal about me. Just so happened that I had been associated with someone else who's basically being targeted. And, you know, it's, it's an attempt to exploit you get you to pay basically ransom you get your account back. So thankfully I've got great resources in the industry. People hooked me up and I was able to get the account restored, but momentarily stressful for sure, because it was like a message that's like, hey, your account is banned, it's gone. And I'm just like, well, there's four years of really consistent work down the drain and relationships and connections. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll say this explicitly. I've been on like a major mission since with touch points of people. Guys, get on my email list. I want you guys there. You already listen to my podcast. It means a lot. Thank you. If you're a coach, you need this scare in order to like get your email list going. There's a lot of really smart, experienced coaches who are not doing the email lists. Get on it because you know it. A, it's you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. But that advice isn't helpful because social media platforms are so scalable for contact that you know, like you're never going to be able to have one-to-one -one ratio of your followers to your email list. It's just simply not going to have it. Or at least it, it won't work that way. There are probably people in the industry with bigger email lists than their social media following just because they've done the email list so damn well, right? That's the perfect state of being. But then you look at like a Jordan Syatt who massive email list, massive social media follows, right? So like ideally there. You're, you're probably just going to want to try to capture as many of your most engaged people as possible. So if you guys are listening, you're not on my email list, please message me. I will personally set you up. It would mean a lot. Super scary stuff, but I just want to acknowledge that uh, for anybody who was wondering, because I had to post on Facebook. I was worried I wasn't getting it back. I had three people, like a very close friend of mine, at, text me and go, did you block me? Right? It's like, holy crap, Right. That's, that's, that sucks to even have people think that and multiple people were yeah. worried that I blocked them. So yeah, God, anyway, so 
un unfortunate situation. Thankfully, it was resolved. If anybody ever has to deal with something like this, um, you know, just shoot me a message. Um, you know, I've got some trustworthy resources now, you know, especially like I've, I figured out what really happened. And anyway, so just honestly, like it could happen to someone. It's more like this sort of thing is more like to target a larger account versus like, you know, someone who's, you know, maybe sub 10,000 followers, something like that, because you're more likely to value it to the point where you're more likely to, you know, give in to the, the extortionist's demands. Anyway, so it's all good. Don't want to scare anybody, but get your email list going, right? There's a lot of reasons why people could lose their social media. Mark Bell's podcast got nuked on YouTube, right? Out of nowhere. And sometimes these platforms, they're, they're, they're AI, like their automated stuff can flag stuff. That, that's what happened is my account was like swarmed by bots that just mass reported me for like nothing. And then oh that, that'll kill your account like that. And it yeah. sucks. Right. That's scary. <laughs> it is scary. But at the same time, I kind of took a big deep breath. I'm like, all right, well, this is not the end of the world. I'll figure this out. I did. And I worked very hard to put myself in a position where I can solve these problems. So uh, anyway, guys listening, if you want to talk more, please shoot me a message. Please go follow Natasha. I really love this interview. I really love what you're doing. I think you guys can learn a lot about your media and how to build your, your systems and programs and train your clients with what you're doing. Anybody who's interested in climbing, Ryan, I was talking to you today at Evolve. Uh, Ryan, I think, listens to these young men. And he, I know he follows you and he's into climbing stuff and he's like really tall and lanky. So it's fun. All right. For everybody listening, uh, once again, I've been saying this recently. I have been trying to get this podcast in the hands of more people. If you really enjoyed it, there's a coach, someone in your world, an enthusiast. I definitely want to serve the Gen Pop a bit more as well. If someone in your world would love this, drop this in their lap. Make sure that they get to hear Natasha. And I'm hoping that I will continue to earn your guys' lessons. If you're new, if you're here from Natasha's media, obviously scroll through. I Thank you. Scroll through my list of guests. You probably will find some other people you like, and maybe I'll earn you sticking around. And uh, just, Natasha, thank you again. Yeah, 